Hey, O's fans, welcome to Yard Work, episode four of the 2017 season, along with MassInSports.com Orioles beat writer Steve Molesky. I am Masson editor Brian Eller. Steve, what's going on, man? How's it going, Brian? Good. I'm actually glad to hear your voice, Steve, because, uh, boy, after uh, last Saturday's game, all the comments on social media kind of acted like the world was ending, so I'm glad that <laughs> I was able to hear your voice today, and the, the sun did actually come up, so uh, good to hear from you today, so... I know, I know. I mean, I I really do think um, that overreactions, which we see a lot in sports from fans, because they're fans, and they're emotional, and they're passionate, and they love their team, I really do think they're in a small percentage, much smaller than we think. But for someone who has dealt with them many years on the radio and on the blogs and on Twitter now, uh, they're prevalent, and you know the fan. There, there are probably a whole lot of fans who never partake in social media or call a talk show, or whatever. Write, uh, write to me on the blog, but some that do get really fired up. In, in, and and one thing, you know, like yes, like I'll give you an example. And I'm getting off track here, but when Donnie Hart gave up the two-run single to tie the game Sunday on my game blog, a fan instantly wrote this, Brian. That's what happens when you have minor league pitchers. Now, Donnie Hart's career ERA is 0.35. And how good has he been for the Orioles since they called him up, oh, by the way, out of the 27th round last year? And how good has he been this year? But he gave up a big hit in a big moment, and someone said he's just a, he's just a minor league pitcher. So I think we've seen enough evidence to dispute that at this point don't you yeah it's it's an emotional game and and i think if you want to talk about any negatives or double-edged sword to to becoming a successful ball club or a steadily successful ball club which the orioles have over the past five years is hey the losses tend to really stick in in fans minds a lot more it's not you know they've uh sort of developed this culture of winning which is great you certainly take that over uh the many years of of, of losing seasons but uh it could definitely take some uh some emotional, you know, ups and downs, and, and take people out of uh, perspective. I think that's that's going to be our theme for today's podcast. If we if we were to have one, it's perspective because um, as we tape this, of course, it's it's Monday, which means it's it's May first. So the first month of the season is already in the books. Which I don't know about you, Steve, but I feel like it's it's flown by as it, as it always does every year. Um, but let's take a look just overall. The, the Orioles are fifteen and eight in April. They're Tied in first place entering tonight's series opener against Boston. They're tied with the Yankees. Uh, for the O's, it was their best team record in April since 2005 season. I'd say it was a pretty good month for the Orioles. Uh, it was. I mean, uh, in the history of the Orioles franchise dating to 1954, only five teams have ever had a better first month or in the, in the rare year when they played in March. You include March through the end of April. So in those scenarios, uh, since 1954, Five teams uh, outperformed by winning percentage the 2017 Orioles, and this is a team that we only have to go back not many weeks to Dakota, 70 wins, fans on my blog all winter, I see a 75-win team, and they could still be that. They, this could be a mirage, and they could tank, and they could be terrible, but it doesn't seem likely to me, but they could, and so it's a long season, and they haven't won anything yet. We got that, but it's a great start. We can only judge them on what they've done to now uh, and then we after 50 games we'll judge 50 and 100 and so forth and so 23 games I'm giving them an A because they have one of the best records in the game they've had the injuries you mentioned the rotation has exceeded expectations even without Tillman and so forth 
And, you know, they're, they're beating the American League East. They've won 65% of their games against the division. If you continue to do that, Brian, they'll probably be crowned division champions at the end of the year. Uh, so a lot's gone right. And so some things have gone wrong, but a lot's gone right. Right. And I know Buck talked about that was one of the keys is not only getting off to a fast start, you want to get off to a fast start no matter who you're playing, but especially with all those games against American League East opponents, um, it's only going to serve them well down the road, not only from a playoff positioning standpoint, because you'll have some some leg up on, on some of those teams record-wise, but also just experience-wise. This division is solid from top to bottom. I mean, we've started to see Toronto sort of dig out of their early season hole when they're they're kind of coming back to form, which which we thought they would. Um, so yeah, I think any any success that you can have against the divisional opponents i don't care whether it's april or september um that's going to bode well for you down the road i think this is still the best division in baseball top to bottom uh the toughest and so if you can win 65 percent of your games in the toughest division we could debate it someone can throw out some others and we can talk about it but the east will be right in a conversation at worst and the best at best and so they're doing well against good teams and we're starting to see patterns emerge. I mean, Toronto's terrible start. You've got to dig out of that hole for weeks and weeks and weeks, and a lot of times teams can't. And so they're not buried, but <laughs> they've got a lot of work to do. The Yankees, the patterns emerged here as young kids hungry. Um, CC Sabathia, ageless, doing okay, and the great back-end bullpen, and they might stick around. Tampa Bay, maybe better than we thought. Some things happening for them. And Boston, pattern that has emerged is they seem to be really missing David Ortiz. Their offense is stunningly, to me, been among the poorest in the league. Probably won't last. But for now, they're, they're not, they're a shadow of their 2016 selves on offense. Now other things could come together. Price could come back. Sales pitching great. Porcello obviously has got, not gotten off to the start. Uh, Cy Young winner last year so a lot still to be played out but you know after a month we're starting to see some patterns and I think there's a lot of good ones for the Orioles. So a lot's happened since our last episode in the week. Um, I I think the the big, the big issue, or the big highlight, or low light, if you will, is is the weekend series against the Yankees, and, and we'll get to to Friday and and Saturday's games um, in particular. But I think what that kind of overshadowed was uh, last Wednesday, uh, which is the day our, our last episode came out, uh, the series finale against the Rays. Well, the Orioles were the one kind of with the, the comeback kids there, and I know it wasn't as as home run heavy as as Friday night in the Bronx there, but uh, for the Orioles to to force that game into extra innings. Um, or, you know, t- the game went to extra innings. They gave up the, the run, and then they were able to come back and sort of uh, win it in, in in walk fashion, if you will. But um, that was kind of nice to see that resolve and for them to get a, a good series. And I kind of noticed that Seth Smith, uh, who's one of the newcomers, of course, for the Orioles, he showed his contributions there. He had the, the Little League home run, I guess, a very odd play, <laughs> not what you're going to see every day. But, um, Steve, can you just kind of talk about – uh, Smith's contribution so far and what he sort of brought to the club, sort of a little spark for them. Uh, I know on-base percentage was was a key factor in the offseason plans. It seems to have been over the past few years. That's one of the reasons he was brought in, and, and he's kind of he's kind of helped spark that offense and give him a little bit more balance, I think. Uh, he has. I mean, he's been really solid. He's probably been one of the best everyday players if you when you look at the stat sheet, and maybe it's gone a little under the radar because other things have come to the forefront we're talking about, but uh, this guy's been really solid. I mean, his numbers in his career against right-handed pitching, 
say that, um, and they're playing out. They're not going to use him against many lefties. His defense is probably average-ish, you know, or maybe a little better, maybe a little worse. I think he's been sound so far. Uh, certainly works the count. Pitches per plate appearance, he'll probably be near the top of the team all year, and that's good because they're batting him near the top of the order most nights when he's in there. And just seems to be a reliable veteran to me. And, you know, when you say reliable veteran, that almost sounds like a negative, you know. Uh, but he, he, it's like he does. he's one of these guys that doesn't bring anything that great as a tool, but he's just kind of solid all around. And he has ways to beat you, and he's smart. And if he needs a sack fly, he can work it. If he needs to try to get the pitcher to throw 10 pitches, he can probably do it. If he needs to drop a bun, I bet he could do that. So kind of well-rounded, solid, not, not all-star, not even an everyday player for a lot of teams, but you're going to see a lot of right-handers over the years, so he'll be out there a lot. And seems to fit in perfectly in the clubhouse. He's kind of a quiet guy, reporters have found. He's not going to be our go-to interview guy. We know that, but that's all right. Who cares? You know, the fans want to see a winning player, and I think he is that. And I know it's a, it'll be almost a week ago since by the time this episode airs, but Dylan Bundy, that was his, his last start. Another great start, uh, six and a third innings, two earned runs given up. Um, his slider, which I know you've talked about in previous episodes, how he's really developing that into an incredible effective pitch there. It's really able him to, to get out left-handed hitters, which is great. Um, I was just kind of curious, Steve, you know, we talk about Zach Britton's uh, sinker, uh, you know, Bundy's kind of a, uh, developing that slider there. Would, what do you think is the best single pitch that the Orioles have? You know, uh, is, is it Bundy's slider? Is it, is it still Britton's sinker? You know, what, when you kind of think about it, what's, uh, what's sort of the most effective single pitch that, that an Orioles pitcher kind of boasts? Well, I think you're, you still, the, 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 um, king and reigning champion is Britain sinker and you're not going to knock that off the top perch because just look at the weekend in new york when the orioles lost two ninth inning leads and last year zach went 47 for 47 and what do you give up one earned run in five months i mean th- these are ridiculous numbers that are hard to get your arms around they're so good so Britain at his best with that sinker i mean that that might be the single best pitch in baseball because what scouts and people around the game tell me is Sometimes a guy with a good sinker at 92 can be really, really effective. He's got a good sinker at 97. You just don't see, you know, sink on the ball at that velocity. And you, you, you can fans tell me, well, just lay off, but they, but you can't. Your eye is trained to swing at strikes, and that pitch is a strike probably for 85% of the way to the plate. And it's just as such that hitters just can't. I guess I guess you could, if you're a hitter, you could go up there, Brian, and not swing. But that strategy wouldn't last long before Britain would just start throwing the ball center cut and taking his strikeout. So as we found, there isn't a strategy a team can just employ to be good against Zach Britton when he's at his best, which is often. Certainly. Um, and as you mentioned, if anyone was kind of wondering, it's sort of weird because I know a lot of people are saying, oh, man, uh, we really miss Britain. We need him. And, and certainly Friday and Saturday's games and even Sunday, you might say, OK, that's that's evidence for it. But Darren O'Day and Brad Brock filling in in those closer roles, uh, you know, they were they were bad. Uh, they certainly were serviceable. And I don't think at the time up until this weekend, you know, people were 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 clamoring for, for Britain to come back. I mean, obviously, he's he's a great pitcher and great closer, and he certainly makes the club better when he's back. But um, kind of a different take there's a lot of different points we could go through for the weekend series against the Yankees again a lot of negative things that happen a lot of positives including you know an offense that they really kind of broke open there um 
did this weekend show you more about the Orioles, or did it show you more about the Yankees? I think it showed us more about the Yankees. I do, too. I'm not surprised that the Orioles gutted out a win that series, and overall they didn't look great, but they didn't, they didn't get swept because that's, you know, the Orioles just, that's who they are. They kind of have guts, and they're bigger than the sum of their parts, at least for the computer simulations, I can tell you. Um, but people around them, like us and the reporters, we kind of know the character overall of that team, and they're going to do things. They're going to do that all year. There's going to be a few series where they look bad, and it looks like somebody's going to run them out of the gym, and then they don't. And so, uh, but the Yankees, yeah, that, uh, I look at the fact that going into Sunday, New York had won four in a row. And the first two, they allowed one run total in two games in beating the Red Sox in low scoring games. In the next two, they bashed the Orioles with big numbers on offense. Four games, four and oh against the Red Sox and Orioles in two different ways. That gets your attention. And first place gets your attention. And so I have people on my blog saying it's a mirage, and I know there's a lot of Yankee haters, and I'm certainly not in I'm trying to talk, see this objectively. I grew up an Oriole fan, so I'm not a fan of the New York Yankees. But I'm trying to look at it as I think they're going to be around. And I've, also, I've always thought more of Girardi than I think his reputation. I know he's crazy using the bullpen. He drives Oriole fans crazy, but his teams always seem to be there. And I just think there's he's better than he gets credit for around the country. And you know the other thing, Brian, that should worry Oriole fans, um, they've got a really good farm system after these trades, uh, and they've got a lot of money. So they're they're like the Red Sox, obviously. Uh, A couple years ago, I wrote an article, and it's proven to pass that the team to worry about in the next five years in the East is the Red Sox. Now, keep in mind, I published that like three years ago, and my point was the same one I'm making about the Yankees now. A lot of good young players, plenty of money, solid farm system, big market, big revenue, all these check marks that can help you win. Some of the check marks that the Orioles don't have. And so um, for a while, I guess Oriole fans enjoyed it. It looked like the Yankees were fading, but they're not. <laughs> so, uh, and Gary, by the way, Gary Sanchez has played in five games. So I think they're going to be around, and it just adds to this division, Brian. It's a bear. It's just a bear. So to be 13-7 and seven and sitting atop this division, I think, is impressive for the Orioles. Exactly. I was I was at the game Friday. It was it was tough to watch. Hey, you know, I'm an Oriole fan like you myself, and it's uh, <laughs> along with being gut wrenching. I kind of sat there. and said, "Boy, this Yankee team is is balanced." You know, I, I think Aaron Judge had multiple home runs in that game, and it was kind of like, okay. I was always kind of keeping an eye on where he was in the lineup. You know, how many batters did they have to get? But it, it turns out it didn't really matter who stepped into into the the box there. That that team can really rake uh, top to bottom, like you said. And um, you know, I guess moving to to Saturday again, not. Not really a comeback situation. The Orioles kind of uh, got blown out there. Thankfully, this is a mature team and a mature clubhouse, and we talk about it all the time, Steve. It, one devastating loss like Friday or even a, a blowout loss like Saturday isn't going to stick with this team for very long. They're going to move on and do what they need to do, which which is a positive thing. But, um, you know, Jimenez, Waldo Jimenez, he's now got – an ERA just south of seven and a half. I think it's seven point four three. Uh, he has only lasted three and a third in each of his last two starts. Um, I I know members of the media we talk about how he's he's a great guy. He's 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 a good clubhouse presence, and I would I think we could agree that for as upset as all the fans are out there about his struggles, he's the most upset about it, right? Um, 
But I, you know, I think even the most loyal fans are kind of getting to that point where you know, what do you, what do you do with Ibaldo? You know, how much further can you go with him? And, and the inconsistencies, just um, I don't know, Steve. I, I'm really at a loss for words for for what to say about it. You know. Well, I know, I and mean, he um, all that you said about him is true. And I mean, to anybody who's met him, and that's most of the people not listening, but a, a couple of us who are here. You know, uh, there's so much to like about the guy that his teammates greatly respect him. They just do. And at the same time, the front office, they have to make these cold, hard decisions, uh, you know, without sentiment. And so they're going to have to look at the fact that if he keeps pitching four and a third or less, as he's done four times now, not only does it hurt you that day, it hurts you the next day. And he's hurting their bullpen because they're covering too many innings. And, it, you know, one loss can turn to three or four because Ubaldo only went three and the bullpen had to pitch six. And they keep shuttling the roster with these optionable guys to try to work around it. And so um, he's in trouble, I think. And I don't have any insight except I know Rock was on my radio show on 105.7 The Fan uh, a day or two ago. And he reported last year that the club was open to eating the contract, and if they were last year, I imagine with fewer dollars and time, the same is true now. And that doesn't mean I'm calling for it or expecting it or predicting it. I'm just saying I think in the halls of the warehouse, if these struggles continue, um, the front office, which always has more patience than the fan base, will lose their own at some point and say, we just got to move on. Uh, That's my guess. But now Ubaldo can stop that talk by pitching better. He He has throughout his career... Every time you think he's got one foot out the door, he, he he gets it back. So that's what they're hoping. But if they don't get it this time, Brian, they got to start making some, might have to be making some hard decisions. Now, how much would you say Abaldo's future in the starting rotation is tied with uh, Chris Tillman's uh, coming back and, and depending on, on, on his progress there? Um, not directly in the short term because they're out of sync. And by that, I mean... Tillman's turn to pitch is Tuesday, um, as we tape this, the second day of the Boston series, and that'll be in the minors. But that could mean his next start in the majors would be Sunday. Ubaldo's next start in the majors could be Thursday. So they're kind of a couple days out of sync. It's not like you can just bring Tillman right back and replace Ubaldo because they're not synced up. But they can work around that eventually, and that, that, that could be a factor here, obviously. You know, starter comes back and someone has to lose their spot. And it looks like for now that someone could be the fifth starter, whether it's uh, Asher, uh, whoever, you know, whatever they're going to do there. Alec Asher looks like he'll start Tuesday, I believe. In fact, he will. They've announced that. So Asher starts Tuesday and Asher or Tillman starts Sunday. And tentatively, Ubaldo, as we tape this, starts Thursday. And as Buck will tell you, subject to change, Moving target, stay tuned. And just a quick note on Tillman. Uh, like you said, by the time this airs, he will have already had another rehab start on on, on Tuesday. Uh, but his last rehab start Thursday, April 27th, he was at Frederick. Uh, he gave up eight hits, uh, six runs, four of them earned over five innings. Uh, fastball topped out at 91, mostly stuck in the high 80s there. But he said by far it was probably his best uh, you know rehab start to date, which is which is what you want to see. Again, we we sort of beat the dead horse in terms of uh, not paying attention to box scores, but um, it sounds like Tillman is is uh, making progress and he's he's close to coming back. So I think most Oriole fans are hoping that he can return to to. 
be exactly what he was last year in terms of that success. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that. And real quick shout out, Steve. How about Caleb Joseph on Saturday? I know lost in the midst of that loss, finally picked up the RBIs. I've I've never felt like you know, standing up and cheering for a guy, especially in a blowout loss. But boy, I was sitting there watching on TV and I almost stood up and started clapping for Caleb because it just felt so good to see that that monkey get off his back, you know. I hope it gets his back going like we know it can and we've seen at the major league level. No one's expecting Caleb to hit 300, but Caleb drove in 49 runs and 350 plate appearances a year or two ago. That's a pretty darn good ratio for a part-time player. So I think he's capable of that or something in that range. And so now it would be nice to see that this is over. A uh, few people could have handled it better, Brian, publicly. He would joke on himself. I mean, this is the guy who went through the testicular situation last year, making jokes, handling it great, uh, taking the kidding and the ribbing he got. Uh, then he had an ORBIs, and he's handled that great. He's answered all the questions time and time and time again. And so you feel happy for him. He's a great guy, as Oriole fans know. And, and I, and I know privately he was beating himself up. I just know he was. He's that kind of player. He, I know it had to be eating him up. Had to be and was because he cares so much and he wants to be good. And while that was going on, Brian, the guy's playing great defense. He's not taking a whole year without an RBI into the field. He's calling the right pitch. He's blocking the ball. He's throwing out runners. I'm telling you, that's harder to do than it sounds. And so you're a catcher, and Caleb has always known – Catching the pitcher is the biggest job I have, and he's always approached it that way. And even at a time when the offense wasn't contributing much, he still was contributing. As we've seen with Miley this year, that, that continues. So good for him, and if, for, for Caleb's sake, and the, and the fans would love to see it too, uh, start to chunk in more hits, more RBIs, and you know, now that the floodgates have opened, hopefully they keep going. Certainly, I think I, I'm hoping, same as you, I'm hoping he just goes on a tear from now and and, and uh, he, he certainly earned that success. So um, so I guess let's just kind of run through a couple things that have happened from a roster situation. Uh, again, these might all be outdated by the time we air on Wednesday, but it's just in case uh, there's a lot of things going on every day. The Orioles are certainly a team that make a lot of moves. So just to kind of get you guys caught up um, in terms of Joey Rickard, of course, came off the disabled list Friday. I uh, had a couple infield hits and, and I know Buck was praising his field ability uh, especially out left field to kind of get a good jump on some balls hit out there and, and maybe could have you know kept a, a double you know or a single for me in a double things like that so it was certainly good to see him back in the lineup and hopefully he can stay healthy um, we talked earlier about Steve you mentioned Seth Smith contributing and you know Adam Jones is quite kind of quietly under the radar having a really nice start to the season and I don't know whether that's because the top of the lineup is is uh you know allowing him to kind of to to have some situations where he can get that average up and certainly with runners in scoring position but um I think when you have Rickard up at the top or Seth Smith again depending on the pitching situation um I kind of like the way the top of the lineup's kind of uh bouncing out for the Orioles wouldn't you say I like Jones batting second, and a lot of fans disagree with me this winter. <clears throat> and it's not because he's a prototypical number two hitter. In the 1960s and 70s, the number two hitter was usually a small ball type guy that would advance runners, take pitches, work the count, but bunt the guy to second. And, but this is the modern game, and there aren't many number two hitters who that's the profile. I like the fact that they got a guy batting second who can and has hit high 200s, can hit 30 home runs, get some big hits from time to time, can run, he can steal a base, or he can go first to third. And then and he's the start of the big boppers, if you will. Uh, and then, you know, you still you got to have Manny third, right? I mean, he's your best hitter. 
And then you have Davis and Trumbo, four or five. That's pretty strong. And then Scope and Wellington down there somewhere, uh, you know. So it's a really good lineup how they have it right now. And for me, Jones batting second is work, works the best for me. And um, he's taken a few more pitches. And more of that's up. We can look at the stat sheet to tell us that. And I think he's just driven to have a big year, you know, nagging injuries last year. And maybe the stats weren't as great as he's we've seen from him, but still a good year. Um, not maybe the all-star level for 160 games. And he's just a driven player. Fans can see it. How many times do we have to tell him he plays hard every night? He's a leader in there. They, you know, he leads by example as much as, you know, he's a very vocal player. We know that. <laughs> you know, he's, a, he's not afraid to be quoted. He's not afraid to talk to anyone, anytime. And so that's good. And um, he kind of helps. He's one of the tone setters on this team, and he sets a good tone. Definitely. Um. A lot of bullpen action uh, following Saturday's loss. The Orioles option, Jason Aquino and Vidal Nino. Um, Aquino gave up the, the game-winning home run in the 10th on Friday. Uh, Nino, the grand slam earlier, a couple innings to Jacoby Ellsbury in that loss. So, um, And then Logan uh, Verrett came, called up Sunday, got out of the jam, got the wonder for the O's in the 11th on Sunday. Uh, it's nice to kind of see some, some passion from him. I don't know too much about him. Uh, but actually, as we're taping this, uh, he's since been out re-optioned down to uh, AAA Norfolk, Mike Wright. It's been recalled from from the tides, uh, so a lot of bullpen shuffling going on there. Um, as we look to sort of moving forward again, the Orioles. By the time people listen to this, they'll be finishing up their series with the Red Sox. But as we're filming this, they're starting it tonight. Um, again, you can't you really have no time to dwell on on over the weekend because boy, another AL East foe coming up. Uh, Dylan Bundy gets the start tonight against Rick Porcello. Uh, we'll just be on all eyes to see how well Bundy can continue that success. Again, we talked about it off the air before we started taping, Steve. I think a lot of people are tuning in. This game's on ESPN because they're waiting for a bench-clearing brawl. Um, I, I'd give you pretty good odds on that. It's not going to happen, I don't think. I don't think it is. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think uh, that slide was not dirty. People continuing to harp on Machado's slide, uh, I don't get it. Um there was a late because of the circumstance of the fielder being on the left field side of second and the slow roller that was hit and it was playing hard, playing the game hard. And it was inadvertent spike of Pedroia. Every Red Sox player knows that. It's Pedroia especially. Pedroia's comments, I think, were welcome. Um, even caught on the massing camera on the field. It's not me, it's them. Uh, and Barnes, that was ridiculous. Uh, not you know, Totally uncalled for. And got a four-game suspension, which to me, Brian, is a slap on the wrist and no deterrent for the next pitcher who wants to do that, none whatsoever. But I do think the Orioles seemed to take the high road in that last game when that happened. And I would suspect that they continue to take the high road unless they feel something happens in the game that changes their opinion. And I don't think the Red Sox are prepared to to do anything but play baseball. I think the Orioles will welcome that, and it'll be great competition and and all the national people who are focusing on this, some some probably hoping for a brawl, will be disappointed. Now, having said all that, something could happen in the game. It doesn't take much, Brian, to set off a tinderbox if there's a, a fire burning beneath the surface. And there is for these teams now, and so we're going to have to watch it carefully throughout the year. But I kind of like I – think, I think we have enough when we have the Red Sox and Orioles actually playing baseball. I think we have enough to watch and be concerned with and have fun tracking. 
Certainly, certainly. Um, and one one other note as we sort of wrap things up, the uh, the All-Star ballots were released today. It's hard to believe they come out so early in the season. It's barely a sample size. Um, so I guess just just kind of take a look at some early contenders for the Orioles. Um, I came up with four four guys who I think have a realistic chance at, at, at being on the All-Star team. Um, I think it starts with Dylan Bundy, of course. Now, fans can't vote them in. They'll be, he'll be selected by, by manager, of course. Um, and Michael Gibbons out of the bullpen, who's who has uh, 1.5 ERA in 12 innings. Uh, right-handers hitting just 212 against him. Lefties 167. So he's, despite some of the, the recent uh, bullpen drama, um, Michael Gibbons again having another uh, really solid start to the season, which is great. And um, at least for me, offensively, I'm looking at again Adam Jones having a, having a great start to the season, very balanced uh, statistic statistic wise and um kind of a, a dark horse I, if taking a look at wellington castillo's numbers um in terms of the catching there's not a whole lot of depth at the catchers in terms of the american league but he's hitting second his average 314 second in the majors right now among catchers first in the american league um he's thrown out five out of 14 runners which is fifth in the american league uh he's dealing with a new pitching staff and i, I don't know i'm kind of i'm kind of hoping that that he gets get some love and and maybe some some all-star consideration steve so i guess putting you on the spot here just kind of running through what are your thoughts on on early all-star situations at least maybe for the orioles in terms of representation yeah real early so those four guys have all done well and you know if they're picking the team today which they're not you'd have to Look at all of them, and I think by the time it starts to formulate down the road, Manny and obviously will play his way into it again or have a chance, and Chris Davis could bash a lot of homers and get in consideration. And if Miley continues what he's doing at some point, when your ERA is in the low twos, that's all-star worthy. So we're going to see if he can ride this longer and get in that conversation. So a lot of good things are happening. In the case of Givens, if he were to get it, to me that would really be a boon and a feather in the cap of a Oriole bullpen because that would have meant in recent years three non-closer Oriole bullpen pitchers, Darren O'Day, Brad Brock, and if Givens did it, Givens, would all make an all-star team. That's really unusual, and that tells you how good this bullpen has been and can be when you have guys who don't save the game very often uh, who pitch in the innings before the ninth and pitch so well that you have to look at them for that team. And so we've seen Brock make it. We've seen Darren O'Day make it. And maybe Gibbons is the next in line. And so that's a that's a pretty darn good bullpen there. Absolutely. So as you said, it's very early. There's a lot of things left to play out. So, But fans can, can start voting on the ballot. So make sure that you guys get out and do that. Uh, so, Steve, as we wrap up here, anything else uh, you got burning on the radar there? No, man, just keeping up with all of it and enjoying it. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, the Orioles, I think, have had a real sharp focus and intensity to start the year. Will there be any drop-off, human nature drop-off, when they leave playing all these games against the East? And they're playing merely another opponent. You know, it seems like these the games against the East are just so big. Every every night feels like, you know, like it's the NFL and it's the one game and Sunday's arrived. And so, but there'll come a point where they just settle into the year and they'll be playing the White Sox and they'll be like, oh, ho hum, it's Pedroia's not here tonight. I don't see uh, Gary Sanchez, you know, where's Aaron Judge? Well, they won't be there. And so they're going to have to win some of those games too. So that'll be interesting to see if they can keep that focus. I imagine they will. The Orioles are good at that. And then, uh, you know, keep watching things in the, on the farm, you know, some interesting things emerging there. So a uh, long way to go and, 
uh, it's baseball, so reporters, we have to grind, grind too, Brian. We have to grind it out every day. You'd make my all-star team, Steve. If, if, that, if that were a thing, you'd, make, you'd be on my all-star team. So <laughs> There just isn't a blogging world. There just isn't where you can uh, say, well, that story was so good yesterday, I'm going to take four days before I write another one. No, you, yeah. usually you take about four minutes and you start thinking about your next one. So you don't really get to sit back and relax too often. Absolutely. I know the feel. And so as you mentioned, the Orioles, they finish up their series with the Red Sox, and then they play some non-AL East foes for, for what seems like the first time. They'll play the uh, the White Sox, and then the, the Battle of the Bellway, the Nationals, uh, two and two there. That's always an interesting series. So uh, we'll make sure we check back with them next week. Fans, uh, be sure to check out MassInSports.com for everything Orioles, and subscribe to the Yardwork Podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Until next week, we'll see you.